it's a blessing that how God has brought things back around, and so I'm very, very thankful to get to be here and uh, on this day. Because of Brother Delaney, when, I, when he first asked me to uh, come, I came for those years. Well, then I stopped pastoring uh, in 1999. I called him and said, hey, uh, do you want me to come Sunday? He goes, can you come Sunday? I go, yes, I can. He goes, why can you come Sunday? And I said, because I'm not pastor anymore. Well, how come you're not pastor anymore? And he began to interrogate me. <laughs> so I said, uh, he said, okay. He said, when you get here, he said, since you're not pastoring, would you like to preach at some other churches while you're in California? And I go, well, it would be a help because I only have one to come to. You're the only one. <laughs> he said, well, I'll get you some other places to preach. And I, he did. And because uh, Pastor Delaney, I come to California every year in January and February and I preach at churches up and down the state of California because of him. And I'm so glad that God had Brother Delaney be in California instead of Michigan or Wisconsin. <laughs> Mercy. And so people go, whoa, you go to California every January and February, huh? And I go, yeah. And they go, well, that's a smart move. And I said, well, I didn't be the one to decide it. It was the Lord. And so... Uh, it's been uh, wonderful what God has done for Nancy and I and what we get to do. And we're very, very thankful. So I just want to thank Pastor uh, Thomason for the friendship through the years. Uh, it's weird that I've seen uh, Miss Alice's mom and dad many, many more times than I've seen them because I used to go, I still do go up to Vallejo, California, and I saw them. Uh, regularly up there and then I've been going to uh, First Bible Baptist uh, in um, Oildale. Anyway, I've been going up there and, uh, and they were there and so I've seen them many times and so on and only seen uh, Miss Alice uh, well, just I think just once maybe since 19 whatever that was back then. Anyway, it's a blessing. So I'm thankful to be here. I am going to preach this morning, and by God's grace, this afternoon, is it 5 o'clock this afternoon? Uh, we're going to come back. And I already know, I've been in church my whole life, I already know that there's some of you that you don't come to the afternoon or the evening service, and it's not a habit of yours to come. And I, you know, I'm aware of that. I've been in the ministry a long, long time. But I do want to encourage you to come back tonight. At five, uh, the message that I have tonight uh, has potential to be such a help to all of us. And um, you know, I'm only going to get to be here today, so you might as well come back tonight. One of the things, if you come back tonight, what it will do, it'll make me feel really good. If you don't come back tonight, I'll go. Well, I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't do very good. I'll try better. But anyway, I really do want to encourage you to come back. And we've already put it on the calendar. Next February. Next February, I'm going to come back to McKee Row Baptist Church and preach revival services. Amen. If I live long enough, and I intend to, by God's grace. So turn your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Uh, got some work to do. I was considering about what I was going to preach and so on. And then uh, pastor told me that you're still, you're not having the Sunday school hour, you know, because, you know, what all the COVID stuff did and so on. He said, we just have the one service in the morning. And I thought, ooh, that means I could preach maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Because uh, you might as well cover it all. Amen. And I do have the potential. I really do. I can preach two hours. I'm gifted like that. <laughs> However, I'm not going to preach two hours. I promise. I promise I'm not going to. It'll just seem like two hours, but it won't be. I promise, okay? Romans chapter 1. If you're able, please, if you're able, would you stand with me? I've been doing this for over 30 years, asking folks to stand and uh, it's only a reminder, 
All I'm doing is reminding me and you both, the Bible doesn't require a stand. I just want to remind you that we should give honor and reverence to the eternal, infallible, inerrant, it's the perfect, preserved Word of God. And that's why I ask people to stand, just to remind us. Look at Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verse number 16. The apostle says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Look at verse 17. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now the next book in your Bible is 1 Corinthians. If you would go to 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 1. Just a few pages, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right, I want to show you this, verse number 17. The apostle's talking to the church of Corinth. They've got some stuff, just a minute, look up here. They got some argument going on in the church, and some people say, hey, hey, I, I'm, I'm of Apollos. No, no, I, I'm of Paul. No, no, I'm of Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. And he was having this little tiff going on. Anyway, verse 17, Paul says, hey, no, they said, Paul baptized me. And Paul said, I didn't baptize anybody except one or two people there. And then other people, well, I'm, I'm of Apollos and so on. He said, well, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So look what he said. Christ sent me, he says, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now look up here, please. When he said not to baptize, he's not saying I was never supposed to baptize anybody because baptism is part of the gospel. It's part of the Lord's work. But Paul is saying what is primary, what is most essential is the gospel. Is everybody with me? Now look at verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Now my intent, uh, my intent is tonight, I'd like to work on that a little bit. The preaching of the cross is foolishness unto them that perish. But now I want to glue two things together out of verse 17 and 18. I want to show you this. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Watch. When Paul said he preached the gospel, he said, I don't want the cross to be made of none effect. So watch. When he preached the gospel, he was preaching the cross. Here's another way to look at it. When he preached Jesus Christ, he was preaching the cross. Or when he preached Jesus Christ, he's preaching the gospel. Look at verse 18. Look at it. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But that's what you're saved. It's the power of God. And so the preaching of the cross is the same as preaching the gospel. If you preach the gospel, you're preaching the cross. If you preach the cross, you're preaching the gospel. If you preach the cross, oh, you're preaching Jesus. Amen? Now chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And I, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Look at verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All right, let me have prayer with you, and let's see what God's going to do to our hearts, all right? Our great God, I come to you again. I want to say hallelujah. Thank you. Praise your name. Thank you that you love us, and you have proved that you love us. Praise your name for that. Thank you for another Lord's Day. This is your day, and Lord, we want to give you glory for another opportunity to assemble and to honor and glorify, magnify, worship you. Not only do we want to do that, 
God, we want to hear from you. I pray that you would use the preached word today. So I'm asking for power and unction, utterance to declare, to preach, to get across your truth. I pray you would help me. So I ask for power, unction, utterance to be able to communicate your truth. And I pray every one of us, all of us, would have hearts that are opened wide. I pray no one would have their heart's doors shut, that all of us want to, we were willing to hear from you. So God, what you speak to us about, that we would agree with you about. Of course, Jesus, if there's someone that's not born again, you already know that. You already love them. You already proved that you love them. I pray they would see their need, understand it. Today would be the glorious day of forgiveness of their sin. And us that know you, we do want to honor you. We do ask you, would you help us today? Whatever that help is, if we need exhortation, do it. If we need help and encouragement, do it. If we just need a good reminder, please do that. So we love you, Jesus. We sure do look forward to when we get to see you. And it's in your mighty and holy name we pray, Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. Uh, when you hear the word, when you hear the word Christianity, what would you think when you consider the thing of Christianity? What would you think would be the, I'm going to call it this, you would be called the center piece of Christianity. If we hear the word Christianity, what is the center of Christianity? Uh, most people probably would say, well, uh, I guess it'd have to be like uh, Jesus Christ. And if you're going to say the word Christianity, it makes sense that Christ would be the centerpiece, amen? And so as we talk about the centerpiece of Christianity, I do want you to know this, though. The centerpiece of Christianity is not Christ's birth. Oh, it was beautiful. It's a wonderful, lovely, thrilling uh, event, historical event that took place when that young man and young woman were traveling from, you know, Nazareth uh, uh, going down uh, to Bethlehem. It's awesome. It's a great story. Laid in a manger and all that. But that's not the, that's not the centerpiece of Christianity. When we talk about Jesus, his uh, prophecies that he fulfilled, and he did fulfill a lot of them. I love what one person said, and I, I try to use the word more than prophecies. This guy said that, uh, anyway, the prophecies of Jesus are actually just promises because any prophecy you made no you can count on it it's a promise amen and so all the promises that were recorded about Jesus that would take place when he gets here uh, one fellow said there were 233 references in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus Christ and who he was in the New Testament wow that's a, lot of, that's a lot of promises fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And there's many more to be fulfilled. But these prophecies of Jesus, they're not the centerpiece of Christianity. When we talk about uh, Jesus, his miracles that he fulfilled that he did, oh, honey, there's all kinds of miracles that Jesus did. It's incredible all that he did. And the, the walking on water, Raising the dead, speaking to a storm and saying, peace, be still. And it doesn't. There's all these miracles that Jesus did, and they are terrific. They're a hallelujah. They do validate who he is, but they are not the centerpiece, the miracles of Jesus. His teachings, the instructions that he gave, and we could say easily the greatest teacher that ever lived. And Jesus had great 
teachings and what he gave out, and they're, they're incredible. And many people that are people that are non-church people that have zero interest in church, they still think some, many, many of the teachings of Jesus are primary to life. And they are. But they're not the centerpiece of Christianity. We might as well go ahead and admit, the followers of Jesus, the people who follow him, I'll just go ahead and say, like the disciples, no, no, no. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're one of them, their disciples. But we're not the centerpiece either. The centerpiece of Christianity was actually invented three to four hundred years before Jesus was even born. Uh, it was the people that were in charge of the planet back then were the Phoenicians. And the Phoenicians uh, thought that they needed to come up with a way you could call it punishment. You could even call it capital punishment. The Phoenicians said, you know, we want to keep people from doing bad things. I and somebody, I don't know who it was, but they Phoenicians get the credit for it. One individual, I don't think, gets the credit. But the, the state, the country of, of the Phoenicians, they came up with the idea of something called... Uh, crucifixion. They thought if you nail people to a cross thing and let them hang there till they die, when other people see that, they'll go, mm, I don't want to go through that. If you shoot someone in the head, it's over. If you hang them by a rope, it won't last long. but if you crucify them, they'll be there a while. And the Phoenicians thought, when people see this, they'll go, oh, I am never doing whatever they did to get there. Is everybody with me? Well, when the Phoenicians went off the scene, and now Rome is in charge of the world, they're the main power of the world, Rome thought, that is really, really a good thing. We like what that crucifixion thing does. They believe it deterred the crime. And so the Romans kept it. And when Jesus walked on the planet, the Rome, Roman government was in charge of the planet. So what I'm saying is that the cross is the centerpiece of Christianity. That's the centerpiece. It's fascinating, though, if you've ever thought about it, I don't know if your brain's ever done this or not, thought about that, in the first century, when Jesus was walking around, there was nobody, there was nobody wearing a cross around their neck on a chain. Nobody. It would be as today, and I know things are much different today in, you know, 2021 20, 20, as it was back in 1960. I do remember 1960. I'm old enough. But back in the 60s in America, if we had capital punishment, we had something called, we had two that were used mostly. It was the gas chamber or the electric chair. Wouldn't it be a weird thing? Would it be really weird if you walked up to someone and they have a, you know, a chain, they have a pendant hanging off the chain, and you're just talking to them, and you notice that thing on their Hey, what is that? What, what is that hanging around your neck? I've never seen that. And they go like this. It's electric chair. It's electric chair. You go, you're the weirdest person I've ever met. Hang an electric chair around your neck? What, a, what kind of weirdo are you? I need to go home. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with you. That's the way it was in the first century. The cross was a symbol of the electric chair. Nobody was having that around their neck. And yet, the very thing that's the emblem of capital punishment, the most horrific death you could come up with, it's the centerpiece of Christianity. Wow. See, if you and I could travel 
with the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. We could travel with him. It would only take two or three stops that we heard the Apostle preach. And when he got finished preaching, we would all realize after two or three sermons, well, he's basically only got one sermon. And what is his sermon? It says it here in chapter 2, I determined not to know anything among you, verse 2, except or save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When Paul traveled from place to place, he preached about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Here's another way to say it. He preached about the cross of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? That's what he was preaching. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the cross. He was preaching uh, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So when Paul arrived in the city of Corinth, he did not survey the town and say, uh, what do you folks kind of like you know, about religion? What do, you, what do you dislike about it? Because, you know, I want to meet your felt needs and what you kind of feel about. He didn't do a survey to see what they wanted to hear. No, not at all. He did not go from city to city and customize his message saying, well, uh, now I'm out here in California, so I want to be able to get these Californians. I want, to, I want them to accept me and acknowledge me, so I'd like to fit in with them. Oh, I'm in Texas. This is a foreign country. I'm going to have to help them, and now I want to, I'll customize my message with them. Is everybody with me? I'm in New York City. Whoa, i got to change the message here. I'm in Silicon Valley where all the intellect's supposed to be. I'm going to use the word again, supposed to be. So i got to change my message to fit them. No, he did not change his message at all. And it's obvious that he did not ask him what their preferences was. He went there and he determined not to know anything among them save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mercy. It's also obvious that the spotlight was not on the Apostle Paul. No, the spotlight was on the cross. It was clear to the Apostle Paul that the center of Christianity is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, the cross is the most important message. Now, when I say the word cross, I could use the word Jesus is the most important message. When I say Jesus, I, and I say the cross, I can say the gospel because it's Christ died for our sins, is, is the most important message. It's the center. It's the core. It's the heartbeat of Christianity. So the Apostle Paul specialized in the person of Jesus Christ. Who he was and what he did when he came here. Amen. Did Paul talk about other things? Yeah, he did. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament. He talked about other things other than just Jesus and Him crucified. Paul talked about the church. Since you brought it up, I'll just tell you about it. He, he talked about the church. Who started the church? The Lord Jesus. The, the responsibility of the church, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? He gave, the, he gave the ordinances for the church. He let us know that the ordinances are, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. We got instructions from the apostle. And he talks to all kinds about behavior in the church. That there's a pastor. There's deacons. There are servants. And then he says, hey, we're all in the body. We're all in this together. We, we can't just say, I'm the eyeball and I'm better than you. Well, I'm the ear, and I hear everything. No, no, Paul says, no, we're all the body of Christ. We are fitly framed together. Oh, I don't know if you're catching this or not. You have a responsibility to the church. Paul preached that. He taught that. If you're born again, and you've been baptized by the authority of Jesus Christ in his church, and you are part of that church, you have a responsibility to it. Oh, one of the responsibilities is like to show up. What a concept. You're supposed to be there. 
Don't forsake, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And then he says it like this, as the manner of some is. Some of you are forsaking. Don't do that. That's what he said. And Paul preached about the church. We have very important responsibilities. He preached about the second coming of Jesus. Oh, honey. He said he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that they've died in Christ. He said, he said, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. Whoa, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, whoa, shall be caught up together with them. You know why the dead got to go first? They got six feet further to go. So they shall write, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in the air, and uh, in, shall be caught up together with them and meet the, and meet the Lord in the air. Ah, hallelujah. He's coming back. When's he coming? Paul didn't know. But Paul said he was. He said, you need to be ready. Amen. The, the second coming of Jesus is exciting. It ought not be, well, I don't know, I'm probably ain't coming in my lifetime. No, no, we don't know when he's coming. In fact, for in such an hour as you think not. Nah. So it'd be cool if all of us in there go, okay, let's concentrate. He's not coming, he's not coming, he's not coming. Bing, he came. I wish it worked like that, but we don't know when he's coming. But he is coming. No, no, he promised in red letters, in red letters, Jesus said, hey, if I go away, I will come again. And he went away. He's coming back. Paul preached about that. Paul preached about the home. He talked about daddies and how husbands and how fathers are supposed to behave toward their children. Mothers, how they're supposed to behave toward their children and responsibility. He tells the responsibility in the home. Who's the most responsible? It's the baby. That's the most responsible one. We need to ask the baby what to do. What do you think we should do? Are you hungry now? Should we all eat now? What do we should do? We'd all just scream and cry and ask someone to change our clothes. The baby's not in charge. That's silly. And since you brought it up, a 13-year-old's not in charge either. That would be ridiculous. No, 13-year-olds go, I got it together. I know what to do. The family should do what I say. I don't know if anybody's getting this. I'm not the one that invented this. In the Holy Bible, the Apostle Paul talked about the relationship between children and parents, the relationship between husband and wife. God, the, the Word of God, Paul the Apostle, God used him and said, Hey, McCracken, this is how you're supposed to treat her. Yeah, how am I supposed to treat her? Hey, woman, get in there and do the dishes. Fix me some more food. I need some tea, woman. How am I supposed to treat her? You know the way I'm supposed to treat her according to the Holy Bible? I'm supposed to treat her the same way that Jesus Christ treats us, the church. How does Jesus treat us? I'd say this, personal, personal testimony. He's very long-suffering with this guy. If I'm supposed to treat her that way, I need to take a deep breath. I need to be long-suffering toward her. Does everybody hear me? Nanny, nanny, nanny. I'm supposed to love her, protect her, care for her, provide for her. And I'm just talking about how Jesus took care of the church, how he loved them. I'm not the one that wrote this stuff. The Apostle Paul, God had him write it. Is everybody getting this? Paul told us how we're supposed to behave toward the government. Make pipe bombs, blow them up. <laughs> Amen! Go after them. Wipe them all out. That's not what the Holy Bible says, is it? The Bible says we're supposed to respect the authority. And obey them. I'm not the one that wrote it. It's in the Bible. 
but if they ask me to do something that goes against God's word, who should I obey? God or the governor? Anybody hear me? No, no, I want to see. You think I got off track. The main important message, the heart of Christianity, is the cross. In fact, I could say it like this it's the main thing. The message of the cross, Jesus and Him crucified, is the number one, it's the most important thing. In the book of 1 Corinthians 15, we're not going to turn there, but the, the Apostle Paul says, I, uh, see, chapter 2 is, I determined not to know anything you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Chapter 15, and verse number 3 or 4, he says, uh, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He said, I delivered unto you first, you know what it was? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what He delivered first. I don't know if you're getting that or not. It's the first thing. I'll say it again. It's the most important thing. I'll say it like this. It's the main thing. And we're supposed to keep the main thing, the main thing. I'm going to give you another chance. You can say amen out loud in church. Here we go. You're supposed to keep the main thing, the main thing. Absolutely, I agree with you. I know how I'm pronouncing it. Thing. And it is the main thing. I grew up in Kentucky. We say thing. It's the main thing. There's a pastor in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I got saved. Now, he's, anyway, down the line from when my dad pastored, and now he's the pastor there. They're a sweet couple. His wife's name is Shannon. She has a master's degree in education. Her and her husband went to the college in Bowling Green, Kentucky, the university there. They graduated. She has a master's degree. Then God touched his heart to be a preacher. So he goes off to Bible college to go study theology, prepare to be a preacher. And while he was there, his wife got a job at a public school to teach elementary school. So it's somewhere around third grade or so. And, and so they were having a spelling bee for the third and fourth graders and so on. And another teacher was leading it. Now, this is not my testimony. Miss Shannon told me the story. She grew up in Bowling Green. She went to college in Bowling Green. Her, anyway, so... Uh, the lady that was leading it had to leave and said, uh, Miss Carson, would you come and take my place? Okay. So she got the word list right here. And she did a couple words, did a couple words. And then she got to this word. She said, thang. I don't have a thang to wear. Three children misspelled it. <laughs> a teacher came up to her and said, uh, Miss Carson, we pronounce it thing. Miss Carson, this is her testimony. She looked in her eye and go, it's what a sad thing. Because <laughs> when you're saying thing, you don't know you're not saying thing. You think you're saying thing. Is everybody with me? So I'm just telling you, the main thing is still the main thing, and it's the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, well, I don't know if you're getting this or not, but... <laughs> If a church would decide to make its emphasis to help alleviate human suffering, there's all kinds of poverty around us. There are people that need a place to sleep. There are people that need food. There are people that need clothing. They're all around us. They need attention. They need help. And churches could become overwhelmed with that need out there. And Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And some churches go, whoa, we've got to start taking care of them. We've got to do that. And friend, I'm not against that. I'm for it. I think we ought to be able to be willing and be interested and be involved in helping those. But it's not the main thing. If you make that the main thing, you've got off message. The main message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You need to be born again. You need to be forgiven. He died for our sins. That's the main thing. Somebody ought to say amen.
If a church is not careful, they'll get all stirred up and so turn up and excited saying, oh, our nation is going down the tubes. We got to get our nation back to God. We got to do whatever we can to get us back to God. We got to do it. We got to save America. <laughs> we got to do it. We got to get us back to God. And we do. We've gone a long way from the founding fathers and how all they behaved. Is it wrong for a church to talk about politics? No. It's a lie that you've been fed to say, oh, you can't talk about politics in church because we have a separation of church and state. Separation of church and state has nothing to do with speaking about it. Separation of church and state actually is the opposite. The government has no authority, has no right to tell anybody how to worship. That's separation of church and state. That's all that's about. We will not have a state church like England does and did. We're not doing that in America. Everybody worships God how they want to, so it's separation of church and state. It's not that the church can't talk about it. In fact, in the first, in the, when America began, all our founding fathers, most of the speeches, most of all the talk happened in churches. That's where people are gathered. That's where they assembled. It's not wrong to talk about. It's not wrong to mention it. It's not wrong at all. But it's not the main thing. And I do know of churches that got involved in the government and they got involved in trying to restore America and their main message is, now let's get America back to God. They missed the message. The main message is the cross and Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is everybody with me? It's not Christian education. I'm for Christian education, but that's not the main thing. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Paul preached about other things. But there's only one organization on this planet that God gave the responsibility to to get the message of the gospel, the message of the cross to the world. He gave it to his church. The church's responsibility, the main thing, is to get the gospel to everybody. Paul told us what his plan was in chapter 2 of 1, uh, chapter two of one Corinthians. Verse, uh, he said, verse 2, I determined, here it is. I'm sorry, uh, let's do verse 1 too. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Now look what he says, declaring unto you the testimony of God. When he declared, that word declare is the same kin word up in verse 17 when he says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach. When a preacher preaches, he's uh, declaring. And Paul said, I want to declare unto you the testimony of God. What's the testimony of God? I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, here's the plan. Go from town to town, person to person, city to city, and preach the gospel. Declare the gospel. Declare the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's his main message. See, it wasn't enough, though, just to preach that Jesus was a man and that he experienced all the challenges of human life. Jesus was a man. He's every bit man. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. But he was more than a man. He's not just a man. He was a man. He was a, a son. And he behaved himself wisely. He was, he was a human. But he's more than that. It's not enough to say Jesus was a carpenter. And if he worked, with, if he grew up in a carpenter's home and as he matured and he's the oldest and he's going to help his dad in the carpenter shop. I'm certain that he did. I'm certain. One fellow said it like this. I wonder if Jesus ever held a piece of wood in his hand and thought ahead that one day I'll be nailed to a piece of wood. Regardless, though, we know if he did help in the carpenter shop and he surely did. He was a good son. He was a good helper. But he's more than a carpenter. It's not enough to say that he's a teacher. And Jesus' teachings are, they cannot be surpassed. They are still valid and effective today. But he's more than a teacher. 
He's more than a prophet, more than a preacher. He is God in the flesh. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. When the Bible, I thought it was, when I was a youngster, I didn't know the difference. When he's talking about when he calls himself and he is called the Son of Man, he's talking about he's altogether human. When it says that he's the Son of God, it's saying, oh, he's divine, he's deity, he's God. See, Jesus was every bit man and he's every bit God. He's not some man and some God. He's not God in man. He's not man in God. He's the indescribable, undefinable God-man. He's the God-man. Well, how do, you, how do you explain that? I just said, it's the undefinable, indescribable. But he's every bit God, he's every bit man. The Lord Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've ever read John chapter 1 in the Gospels, it has capital W. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God capital W. And the word, capital, was God. And then in verse 14, and the capital W word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld its glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is every bit God. He's every bit man. He's the God-man. So what makes Jesus so valuable? He's God. He's God in the flesh. When he died on the cross, God died for our sins. How can God die? He became a human. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You go, how do you explain that? I don't know. I just know that there's God the Father, there's God the Son, God the Spirit. They're all three the same. They're all three one. They all think alike. They all do alike. They're God, but they're different identities. Well, I just don't understand it. Well, don't worry about it. Just believe it. And the, God, the Son of God became a human. Why? So he could die on a cross. Why did he need to die on a cross? Because we need our sins paid for. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, the Apostle Paul said, Christ died. Why did he die? For our sins. That's why he died, according to the Scriptures. But he didn't stay dead, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. The Gospel says that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. He is who he said he was. He's God in the flesh. Watch, watch. Because he's God in the flesh, his death has a value. There's a pastor, he's called pastor, of a church in Baltimore, Maryland. It's a large church, over 10,000 people. It's called one of them their emergent churches. If you know what they are, this means they emerged from these other churches and they emerged out of there because these guys aren't doing it right. They want to be more effective for God, so they emerged out of there. Is everybody with me? He pastors a big church. Emergent is a great, it's a huge movement. Here's what this pastor said in Baltimore, Maryland. He said, if Jesus wasn't virgin born, so what? He's still Jesus. Anybody hear me? See, if Jesus wasn't virgin born, he's not God. Did you just hear that? He's still Jesus. Well, he's not the Son of God. He's not God. If he wasn't virgin born, he's contaminated with the same sin we are. He needs to be forgiven too. But no, no. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a carpenter. He's more. He is God in the flesh. And Christ died for our sins. He took our place. He died in our behalf, bearing the punishment of his own wrath for us. Unbelievable. Praise his name. I love what Jesus done for us. Let's do it. I, I'll conclude like this. Just turn over a few pages. I don't know if you still got your Bible open. 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We'll conclude here. I've got three or four or five more pages, but 
I told you I would not preach two hours. I would keep my word. Amen. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, I want to uh, just show you a truth here. You ready? Uh, the last two verses, verse 20. Paul the Apostle says, Hey, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you. God's begging you how? By us. We are begging you. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus. God hath made Jesus to be sin for us. When did Jesus become sin for us? Listen to the, listen to the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He became sin for us. And it says, who knew no sin? Well, who is who? Well, who ain't us? We're all sinners, amen? Who knew no sin? Why did he do this? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died for our sin. If we receive that payment, if we receive Christ for our sin, if we receive that, he will give us the righteousness of God. What does that mean? I have right standing before God. When God sees me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus' blood, and then he goes, whoa, you've been made clean. Yes, I have. Hallelujah. Mercy. It's the main message. So, like I told you, I'm going to conclude with that. Uh, so, I have a couple things I want to mention. Have you been forgiven of your sin that you know it? No, not saying, well, I think I am, I hope I am, I'm trying to be. No, I'm saying, do you know that you're forgiven? Because the scripture makes it plain that you may know that you have eternal life. Another way to say it, that you may know that you are forgiven. If you don't know, I'll just look you in the eyeball and go, well, that means you don't know. But if you do know, well, then you know. And people know that they know, they're going, I know. But if you don't know, you're going, you can say, yeah, I'm good. But if you don't know, you're really not good because you don't know. But when you know that you know, you know you know. I love this. If you don't know, you don't know. And hear this. Listen to me carefully. You cannot know. You cannot know until you know. Nobody knows until they know. But when they know, they know. It's awesome. No one can take it from you. Oh, yeah. I was a sinner. Christ died for my sin. And I accepted that. I believed him. I believe it to be so true. I said, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive my sin. Save me. Come into my life. Whatever. Change me. Just save me. And he's never turned down anybody. That's a hallelujah. Some of you, I would assume, and I, you're not supposed to assume, but I would expect that some of you in this room are actually saved. That's a blessing. So then I'll ask you, what's the most important thing in your life? Is it your car? Is it your yard work? Is it your job? Is it your kids? No, no, what's the main thing? Just asking. In my little brain, I'm thinking, we might need a revival of making Jesus him crucified, the main thing. Wow. I ask you to stand with me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Let's stand together. I'd like to pray with you, please. Let's bow our heads. Let me pray. Our great God, I come to you again. I just want to say thank you for the Bible. Thank you for showing us that you do love us, that you're interested in us. Thank you for every heart that's here. God, my heart's desire is that every 
person in this room would know that they know they're forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the instruction in your word that the main thing is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That you died for our sin. I pray that if there's anybody here that's not yet received your forgiveness, I pray that they'd understand how necessary, important it is. God, in your great kindness, would you come by every heart and tap or tug on that heart that they would say yes to you? If they're not forgiven, I pray they'd understand they must, they must be born again. Jesus, us that know you, would you come by our hearts, tug, tap on our heart? And we need to, we need to be sure the main thing is the main thing. Thank you, Christ. Our heads are bowed, and Miss Alice is going to begin to play. As she plays, I'm just going to ask you to respond to God's kindness. God is touching your heart, tugging on your heart. You're, you're a believer, and you know you're a believer, but God's tugging on your heart that, hey, 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 I, I need to get the cross. I need to get Christianity where it belongs. It's the main thing. It's the centerpiece. God would touch your heart. I think it's appropriate for us to agree with him, bow before him, confess it to him, rededicate to him. If you're not saved, you're not sure, oh, friend, you're in the right place. <laughs> you're in the perfect place today to be sure. Know. Why don't you say yes today?